Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. So we want to get right to it. We've got a lot of dis- lot to discuss today. Uh, something going on today, uh, you all know, I mean, seriously, and you don't have to be in any one area of Orlando or Orange County to know that. Uh, transportation is a challenge, whether or not you're driving or you're relying on public transportation or what or whatever mode you rely on, there's a challenge always. But there's, especially for seniors, but there is a new program that uh, is designed to help seniors. And hopefully, I, I would like to see maybe based on what I'm seeing now is to have it expanded a little bit. Uh, we're talking today with uh, City of Orlando Department of Transportation Representative Tanya Wilder today to discuss the limo lime expansion. Good morning. How are you? Uh-oh. No, 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 no. Okay. Hopefully she'll be on soon, um, but Hello? we're, we're going to talk to her. Oh, hey, good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi. Welcome to G's Power Hour. How are you doing? We are well. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So tell us about the new Limo Lime expansion that starts today, right? Yes, it did, and um, the mayor and the commissioners and some of our seniors, um, Julie, who is 92 years of age, just we just rode the limo line bus to the Beardall Senior Center, and um, we inaugurated it this morning. So it was a wonderful, wonderful morning. Well, great. So for some that don't know, because, you know, for example, I'm not a person that is in – downtown Orlando as often as I used to be. And I'm relatively familiar with limo and just vaguely kind of, from what I hear, familiar with Lyme. So can you tell us about what each of these are and how the expansion, how you know, has brought this together and why is it focused on the senior population in Orlando? Absolutely. So um, limo is um, made up of three lines, which is the lime line, the grapefruit line, and the orange line. And is, it is a free downtown Orlando circulator bus. And so it provides free transportation within the downtown business, entertainment, and shopping district. And um, Lynx, um, who, who 
operates and maintains the buses in partnership with us, the city, um, we, the, these lines provide direct service to the Amway Center, Bob Carr Arts Center, the County Courthouse, the County Health Department, Dr. Phillips Arts Center, and other destinations. And a um, little fun fact is that the limo buses were the first of its kind in the United States to have their own dedicated lanes, and that's known as bus rapid, rapid, excuse me, bus rapid transit. And so the BRT system is funded um, by our city's Community Redevelopment Agency, otherwise known as the CRA. And it's been instrumental, the CRA has been instrumental in creating the, an efficient public transport, transport network. And so the Lime Line now will run from the North Quarter to Link Central Station and then southward to the Beardall Senior Center, which is where we were today, this morning for the ribbon cutting, and then to Lake Lucerne Neighborhood with stops at Division Ave Avenue, Anderson Street, Delaney Avenue, Gore Street, Orange Avenue, South Street, and Garland Avenue. And um, lastly, to your question, how does this benefit the public, especially our seniors? Well, we worked closely with, with Links um, as a partner and listened to the needs of our seniors. And so they wanted a better um, reliable transportation network to explore downtown and um, in a convenient way. And you know our, our our seniors are old enough to retire, but young enough to enjoy it. And so, last fall, uh, the mayor, with his vision, completed the Livable Orlando Age-Friendly Action Plan, which is part of our Age-Friendly City designation, and that's um, done through AARP. And so, these plan that that plan includes steps that the City of Orlando can take to make our community, including our downtown, more accessible for everyone. And that's what we strive to do. Yes, because young people aren't the only ones that want to go downtown. <laughs> so, you know, that's that a good true. thing. We have, I guess. <laughs> so, so I know one question I have is: Does it stop at the Publix downtown? I'm sure. I'm sure that's on the on the route, right? <laughs> yes, it absolutely does. That that is an yes. essential point um, to make sure yes. that our that the users can go there. Absolutely. Yeah. To get their so you know. And food and everything. That's right. That's right. Got to have it. So, so now I, I now, how long has this been in the works and in the planning? And I guess my other question is, are they looking at possibly doing some other, let's say, type of hubs or or areas in other parts of the city? So. Um, this circulator um, is, I would say, dense enough. So, so the hubs, you know, it, it, it all starts at the Link Superstop, which is the Link Central Station, and that, that's on the um, corner of Amelia and Garland. And mm -hmm. um, so that's where all the buses pull into and, and leave from. And, um, but, but this vision to change the route, the route of the Limeline all started last year. And um, it, the, the way that LINCS operates is they have to submit to the um, Federal Transit Agency three times a year. They, they have that opportunity, um, April, August, and December. And so to go through, um, through that and talk to the agency and to seek approval, um, again, it was a yeoman's effort on both the LINCS staff and then our staff. Um, wanting to move this vision forward and making it a reality. 
Well, that's, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure there's a lot of people looking forward to that. I may just, I, I don't, like I said, I don't get downtown often. I always tell my husband, I'm like, I have to go every now and then because the tourists are going to know more about what my city looks like than I do. And so I, I have to <laughs> venture downtown every now and then just to kind of say, okay, this is what this looks like now. It's very different from when I grew up here. But there's also something, something else coming up that I want to talk about, um, Bike to Work Day. That's coming up this yeah. Friday. Can you talk about that as well? Uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, with the mayor being our mayor for 20 years now, the longest-serving mayor, and um, under his leadership, we've always sought to invest in um, transportation options other than cars. And we like to look at downtown as the place that people want to come to and not through. And so um, another great thing that we have happening just this Friday is our 2020 seconds, actually, so two years old, more than the mayor, um, annual Bike to Work Day. And um, so we have a celebration at City Hall Plaza with other biking organizations. And hopefully um, some of your listeners or you, if you want to come join us Friday morning, um, we would love it. We have e-bikes available. We have pedicabs available. Um, and uh, we have right now about 105 people um expected to show up and what we will do is we will start at um, Lake Lucerne and we will ride into uh, the downtown area. I'm sorry, Lake Lorna Dune and we'll ride into the downtown um, along Orange Avenue to City Hall. Now, okay, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show a little bit, there are some challenges in order in terms of getting around Orlando and Orange County. Um, I, you know, as much I, and I keep saying I'm going to start riding a bike, bike again. But when I think about it, in some areas, it's it kind of strikes a little terror to be honest. It, it, you know, uh, we don't have every area does not necessarily have bike lanes just yet. What is the plan for accommodating? cyclists here in Central Florida, in Orlando. What I, what I love that you just um, said, um, G, is you said the word yet. And so what we're working on, and again, it's, it's been um, a vision, and, you know, unfortunately with the pandemic, it kind of um, things stalled. But we really enhance um, bikeability, you know, walking, strolling, and so to, to be able to have that connectivity, um, we are moving forward and completing the downtown loop, which is an eight-mile um, loop, and we hope that will be done by 2024. Um, and we just had a ribbon cutting for the downtown connector, which is along Anderson Street. Um, mm-hmm. it, goes, it goes from Summerlin to Lake Underhill on Anderson okay. Street. And, um it's, it's quite amazing, and, and we've, we've received so much positive feedback from those that live around the Lake Underhill area that want to come into our downtown and come to events. And, this, for example, this weekend we have Fiesta in the park, and so we're going to have vendors at Lake Eola, and it's just going to be another option for ways for people to come into downtown and to enjoy themselves. Um, and then we're evaluating every project as a complete streets project, um, and so we're paying special attention to our pedestrians and cyclists. 
we know that um, there's a need. We know, that, um, again, Vision Zero is something that was adopted by the mayor and city council back in 2017, um, which is zero fatalities and serious accidents by 20, 2040. And so that's something that we strive to obtain. And so we're, we're trying to always enhance wayfinding and um, make sure, um, again, that connectivity for biking, as you mentioned earlier, I, we know that there's a need there and we're, and we're trying to, um, to fill those gaps. And I love, you mentioned Fiesta in the Park. That's one of my favorites. And I, unfortunately, I think I'm going to miss it this weekend. But um, I know there's okay. another one in the fall usually. So. <laughs> um, so now, what about parking? which is an issue when you're having, and, and now there seems to be so many um, events now downtown or near downtown at the same time that you're having to park miles away and be, and be shuttled in or, or something. Are there any plans to expand parking in terms of maybe more multi-level parking uh, closer by in the downtown area? Um, that's a wonderful question. Um, we hear that question a lot, <laughs> to be honest with you. And so, again, we know that there's a need. Um, we know that, you know, people that live um, perhaps in the Lake Nona area or, you know, even in Conway area, um, you know, they need their car reliant. They need to get in the car and, and come and want to come downtown. So we're trying to... Um, look into ways to make that more accommodating. There is a vision as well um, for, it's called Under Eye, and it um, is in between the east and the west, right under I-4, and so between Church Street and um, Huey, and there's, it's about three blocks that we're looking at, and we want to revitalize Under I-4 um, and make that a place where people go through to get to the Amway Center or go to the Exploria Stadium for a soccer game, and we will be providing parking there. Um, I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, there used to be parking underneath there when people would always go to right. Radio Grady's and everything like that and Phineas Fogg. So um, we are going to be putting that back in um, um, along with some other vision and placemaking within the under eye area in those blocks. But furthermore, um, there's SunRail. <laughs> Excuse me, SunRail. It's always been a, again, a desire to have SunRail operating seven days a week, um, and uh, operating at night. And so, hopefully, you know, as the system continues to grow, um, it's only been operational for seven years. And if you think about that, that's kind of young compared to the BRT system that's been around since the 80s. So um, we're, we're wanting to achieve that and, again, provide another option for people coming in from um, the north and south areas uh, and be, have them to be able to ride SunRail and, and for an evening event. And then as, as far as, like, more parking opportunities, we have Creative Village um, that is also growing up. Um, we just had EA Sports come in, their headquarters, and so we, we knew, and we have the UCF campus downtown as well as Valencia. So we know that there's a need there as well. So, so we're 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 cognizant of it, and and we're trying to find ways to to put in the balance of more parking as well as enhancing more people to find other alternatives. 
Ms. Wilder, thank you for taking the time this morning. I really appreciate the update, and please feel free to come back anytime and keep us posted on what's going on in the city of Orlando. I appreciate it. I thank you. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day now. You as well. Thank you. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, um, Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin is going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, violence, especially school violence, um, since uh, the start of 2023. Uh, anyway, uh, if you have questions or comments, the number is 516 G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast, let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we want to, again, thank uh, Tanya Wilder, the Director of Transportation, working with uh, Orlando Mayor Buddy, Buddy Dyer um, on some projects here uh, to improve transportation in the city of Orlando. We, unfortunately, have to turn our attention to another incidents of uh, school violence, and uh, we, to kind of get a little more professional insight, I've asked, and he's graciously agreed to come back, uh, Dr. Kenneth Sean Taplin, uh, to join us today. Good morning. How are you, sir? Oh, there he is. Can Hi. You, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can Good. hear you now. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for uh, thank you for uh, allowing me an opportunity to jump into the storm and try to provide some clarity for your listeners uh, with regards mm. to what we've been experiencing with regards to school shooting. Uh, it it doesn't seem like uh, there's going to be reduced school shootings anytime soon, unless we uh, come together as a community and unfortunately uh, begin to uh, increase the surveillance and expose the knowledge we have of individuals uh, who oftentimes post things before they shoot up a school. So all of these things are very important. It's time that we take note. It's time that we uh, become much more critical of uh, and aware of the potential violence that has turned into actual violence. So, yes. Yeah, so, so now there's some... I guess you could say anomalies about the most recent school shooting. Um, mm-hmm. It it was a female, isn't that yes. unusual? 
Um, uh, yeah, it was it's, a Christian yeah. school. It wasn't yeah. one of our public schools. Um, right. There, there, so there's, uh, you know, you, you kind of think you've got it kind of isolated in terms of, okay, so, or, or, or predictable, let's say, in terms of who's mm-hmm. going to do it and where it's going to happen. And, and that's sad in itself in and of itself as well, the thinking that these are predictable. Um, right, right. Well, there was a, there's a report that was put forward by the Secret Service, the U.S. Secret Service, uh, years ago, um, looking at school shootings from uh, the mid-'70s up until 2000. Mm-hmm. And they looked at approximately just about 40 school shootings involving 41, 42 individuals. And they tried to comprise a profile of what these school shooters look like. And they look very different from the school shooter that we uh, just recently experienced in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which was a female. But also, just to note the caveat, uh, it was a person that uh, was transgendered and identified as a female. So that Mm. takes us back to deeper issues that deal with, according to some researchers and scholars that are really uh, more attuned to aspects of bullying that could occur with those persons that identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community, as well as the toll that bullying takes upon their mental health and their psychological sort of state. So uh, those, those fundamental kind of concerns lie in the backdrop of perhaps what we assume to be a sort of a physical profile. The idea of mental health illness, the idea of of, uh, isolation and bullying, all those things are there and seem to be foundational with regards to thinking about school violence and school shootings, mass shootings that have a very similar sort of premise. But, yes, very different than what the uh, Secret Service put out, which was the basic profile that, and, again, we know this, uh, particularly as people of color, right, middle class, white, Caucasian males who were somewhat lonely or isolated. Um, They also uh, were found to be by uh, their peers a bit awkward. Maybe today we talk about that awkwardness as being uh, perceivably on the uh, spectrum of autism, right? Perhaps, perhaps Mm -hmm. that might be one way to think about it. Uh, And then the key is that they all seem to have easy access the guns, right? So, so we have the politics, we have the mental health, we have, you know, it's all wrapped up in the issues of school shootings. So, yes, yes, yes. Okay, I'm, I, I'm, I want, I really want to you to kind of understand because I'm going to tell you, I was an awkward kid. I was an awkward kid mm-hmm. in an awkward school situation. And, you know, got picked on regularly, sometimes for no mm-hmm. reason. And it's like I didn't think about – it never crossed my mind, my mind to pick up a gun and shoot anybody because of it. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe I wanted yeah. to, you know, throw a stick at you or something or, you know, or probably my, my inclination at the time because it was to go somewhere and cry. But, you know, I mean – Never once in retaliation did I think about I needed to take your life. Right. You know, right. well, it, it, 
And, and, yes. and by the way, let me before we go any further, because I kind of just jumped into it without prefacing it for those that did not um, catch it. Uh, the uh, shooter uh, killed six people at um, a private school in a Christian school in Nashville yesterday, three nine year olds and three uh, 60-something-year-olds, um, and the shooter, uh, according to this, and I've posted this on the G's Power Hour Facebook page, this is a CBSNews.com report, um, Audrey Hale, uh, 28-year-old from Nashville, um, said that uh, this report says she was uh, armed with at least two assault-style weapons and a handgun. Um and, uh, yeah, there are, I guess, questions about the gender identity in this particular case. So, but still. Um, so I just wanted to kind of catch folks up because they may have missed it. So, Yes, thank you. That information is helpful for us to be able to try to situate uh, uh, the individual as well as the actions taken by that individual. So what we also do know from the news reports is that uh, she was a former student. So whatever mm-hmm. occurred in that environment while she was going through, uh, matriculating through that institution, we know that she has not rid herself of that potential experience, right? Even at 28 years of age, you think, okay, I've put those things behind me, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's been perhaps, perhaps a decade. But, uh, you know, certain vulnerabilities, particularly in people that are living through adolescent periods in their life that, again, have a significant impact on their identities and the way in which they begin to see and understand themselves through the eyes of other people. And it really impacts, again, their self-esteem, of course, their mental state, their ability to deal with conflict, their their ability or inability to be able to uh, communicate all of those those, uh, injuries as well as seek opportunities uh, for uh, betterment. So all of those, all of those important in that entire discussion. So um, what stands out to me, uh, gee, as you said, uh, many of us have been bullied and, you know, we would love nothing more than for, to perhaps uh, lash out at our tormentor. Not uh-huh. so much in bystanders, right? Maybe, maybe friends of the tormentor, that today we call them, uh, you know, hype people, right, that are hyping up the violence. But, mm-hmm. but the anonymous individual appears to be somebody that now is roped into this violence, right, which is, which is new. And the violence is unfocused. So it comes out and, and it manifests itself as a kind of rage, uh, both against the, uh, the perpetrator, the bully, uh, as well as all those that are, in that environment. So but, uh, in general, we can say, yes. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So, well, I, this is some of what I think, you know, one of the things you said, the person now is 28. They've been out of this mm-hmm. school for quite a while. So uh, when you talk about it being unfocused, I think a lot of that possibly, and I could be wrong, has to do with suppressed rage. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think, it, you I know, think so. like, it's like a, a, a water hose when you turn on the water and you don't, you know, if you have one of the uh, uh, triggers at the end of the hose, you know, when the pressure builds up and you release the trigger, it just comes out and sprays. Yeah. You know? yes. So yes. you it, might, you it, might it have that. Uh huh. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it, it may no, no. spray the initial target, right? Let's say – so we know that um, – Unfortunately, we know that the headmaster, the, the, the person in charge of the school, was one of mm-hmm. the six victims. And, I, and I, there, therein lies the intention, right? The sort of, okay, they got somebody. They also, I believe the reports coming from CBS News said that there was one person who was a substitute teacher. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if a substitute uh, would remain at a, at, a, uh, at an institution like that for more than a decade. So. I don't know if they had any relation uh, to, again, uh, uh, Miss Hale. And, of course, the three nine-year-olds were left without reason, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So it, was, it wasn't as if uh, – so, again, these are all assumptions based upon, okay, uh, Miss Hale entered. Uh, she had um, artillery. Um, the top of the food chain was targeted. And taken out, right? Somebody near the top. And then I can't explain the rest of it. So, as you said, the hose has pressure. It first sprays where it's focused, and then the innocent bystanders, and in this case, three nine-year-olds. Um, mm-hmm. And I would, I would have to assume that there were three nine-year-olds at random that were in the wrong place. So the innocent bystander effect uh, now comes into play with these mass shootings. So a focus, but again, such. Uh, such rage that it's not just against the bully. Uh, now you're attacking an institution, its officials, all those who are near it, all those who are possibly uh, around. So, um, yeah, the the rage um, is hard to understand. Um, yeah, the, the the rationale as difficult as it is. That our our criminal justice system will give you ten life sentences, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. the punishment killing two, and if you get two life sentences, versus the punishment for killing ten and getting ten life sentences, you can't outlive mm-hmm. ten life sentences. Not neither can you outlive two life sentences. So the rage. And the now the the rational deprived way of thinking is I've killed somebody, so I might as well kill everybody. I don't I don't know if, if that makes sense. It makes tyrannical sense that if you know you've done something so bad, now you will include innocent people in your mental state, in your deprived state, to just say I am just unhinged. I will if anybody is near me, they're getting destroyed, which is. Again, uh, you know, an untargeted kind of focus, but it comes from again somebody crossing a line, somebody overcommitting to the violence, somebody that now, um, mm-hmm. you know, there, there is no uh, boundaries. Um, the, the the other part about much of this, which again we haven't really discussed, and the media hasn't really talked about it much. Mm-hmm. They mentioned it, but. These people often, after they've done these kind of atrocities, they know that they don't want to go to trial. They know they don't want the cameras, so they usually turn these weapons on themselves. Right, G? So this this is the part where this is the part where if there's any sense of a get out of jail, get out of trial, get out of media uh, opportunity, after mm-hmm. they've done all of this, 10, 15, 20 people, they know. 
the charge for killing one or two is the same as killing 20, right? They know mm-hmm. they're like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go through this charade. I'm going to save everybody uh, the, the sort of time and energy, and I'll turn the gun on myself. So therein lies a, an irrational but a very rational mind in the sense that uh, I will escape judgment by taking my life and taking the opportunity uh, to, of course, uh, close all of all of the violence with me being the end. So, the, the, I was going to uh, ask you because uh, it, um, that just that does seem a little bit rational after you commit this weird, this yeah. you know, horrible crime. Then you're going to rationalize how I'm getting out of it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I don't. How do you? I don't think you are really thinking about that at that time. Um, but anyway, we're gonna, we are going to talk about this some more, but we're going to take a quick break. We are here with Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin, who, sociologist, and he, he's been on before, but he's and hopefully he'll come back <laughs> if I don't scare him into <laughs> that last-minute call. Thank you so much. But we're going to talk some more when we come back. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we'll be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. Here with Dr. Kenneth Sean Chaplin, and we're uh, unfortunately having to deal with another incident of um, gun violence. This one in Nashville yesterday, leaving um, the families behind of three nine-year-olds and uh, three uh, instructors at the school, and also the uh, the alleged shooter uh, taking her life. Uh, and if you have questions or comments, the number is five one six three eight seven one nine four four. And you know, you were, we were talking about the nine year olds. I, I kind of wonder if maybe the nine year olds kind of got in the way of maybe a target that maybe uh, she was targeting a particular instructor or someone, and the nine year olds happened to be the person that be in the way of the person that that she was aiming at you know maybe maybe the person was trying to protect the nine-year-olds or maybe they were just happening to be standing there when the uh shooter walked in i don't know just just a thought chapman are you there can you hear me yes i can hear you now yes uh, well, uh, that might be a factor we can look into uh, as the reports may come out. Unfortunately, the shooter uh, took her life, and so uh, there's no way to know 
the intention uh, behind the three nine-year-olds that were taken. But we know that children are loyal, and at nine years old, um, we know that some children today, uh, maybe not in my generation, but they would come in and actually hug their teachers. And you can imagine mm-hmm. that being the case, in particular, at a Christian school, right? So there might be a different right. kind of bond, different desire to protect a teacher, uh, a different knowledge with regards to what is a bullet, how does a bullet actually work, right? So, uh, again, uh, I can imagine a child saying, no, that's my favorite teacher, not, not really understanding the gravity or simply perhaps uh, the shooter not having the most accurate aim, uh, at the time, and if the person that was a target was there and the children were around, uh, these children now become um, innocent bystanders. So, uh, all, again, all of this, if we had the shooter, perhaps we could uh, unpack the mental state, uh, uh, sort of investigate um, the motive towards, uh, you know, aspects of perhaps conspiracy kind of theories, look towards uh, aspects of mental health. I mean, all of these things are, are there. Oh, one thing, not to sound too conservative, um, both religiously and politically, but uh, I have to say that, again, in these sort of profiles, particularly the one that came out by the Secret Service and a few other ones, they talked about, uh, of course, easy access to firearms, but then they focused on the family, and they sort of got a profile with regards to thinking about the the family background and the dynamics that perhaps uh, they believe played a strong role in somebody <coughs> eventually becoming a school shooter. So uh, some things that they brought up were sort of family dysfunctions, lack of family structure, lack of supervision, um, uh, children that were coming from perhaps divorced homes, uh, single-parent families, uh, perhaps mm-hmm. one or two that was actually a foster child. And they talked about, the, uh, of course, the general disruption of what we consider today to be a traditional nuclear family structure. So, And, again, this is where, uh, as a sociologist, we begin to look at the support systems that contribute to people's identity and senses of self and less on aspects of psychological and or mental health issues. Not that they're not connected to those social structures, especially when they're lacking, but to to get into the mental aspect and the psychological aspect, as sociologists, we focus on social action, interaction, and behavior. So uh, so, uh, how a child perceives themselves fitting in or not fitting in a family, a family operating dysfunctionally, a family dealing with issues of, of poverty, family dealing with issues of divorce and separation, all of those things become become important. And, again, these reports have found, again, a non-nuclear kind of structures, and they believe that there's some impact on a child's identity, a child's ability to deal with um, uh, uh, aggression, a child's inability to uh, have an adult uh, help them to communicate uh, issues of anger, uh, help a child to discuss uh, when you're facing uh, struggles and unable to communicate those struggles, how you uh, take a breath, think about what is your goal, how do you get to your goal. All of those things uh, are in uh, the family structure that perhaps 
is now being targeted as missing elements of children who cannot deal with anger and rage. So Mm -hmm. um, it's part of the conversation that's finding its way closer and closer to, uh, again, one of these issues. And, of course, the central issues uh, we're dealing with, of course, uh, are politically gun violence, access to guns, uh, again, and following that, mental health, psychological issues, followed by family structure. So we, there we have the one, two, threes of the, of the politics uh, and the way in which now it's being discussed by the media. So uh, he has a, a, a range. range. Mm-hmm. Now, I just wanted to, you know, now just to get you know, everybody to, to understand you know, a little bit more. It this we're having the school shootings, but we're also just having a, a unfortunate amount of mass shootings in this country right now. I pulled up and I posted. There's a site called GunViolenceArchive.org. That's GunViolenceArchive.org. It's a shame you have to have you have to archive the amount of mass shootings in this country. But in the last week, okay, last seven days, let's just put it like that. There have been about 15 archived, uh, you know, we don't know if, if this is accurate or they may have missed some or whatever, but there have been 15 of these shootings in the last week, not school, just not specifically school shootings, but mass shootings, um, mm-hmm. with about 20 people killed in these just the last week in these mass shootings, and probably more than 60 people wounded or injured in just the last week. Okay. Just since since March March twentieth to twenty twenty seventh. Okay. So you know, this isn't just something that, that is happening in the schools. This is a problem that's that's happening in our society as a whole and is becoming more regular than it sh- should be. You know, we I mean, it's it's bad enough if you talk about maybe one per week. You know, I, I, I don't. You know, if we, if at this point, if we could get it down to one a week, I would be grateful, and then try to deal with that one per week. And why did that occur? But there's so many out there that, you know, we're we're having to kind of put the information away, and then I guess go back and reexamine it or something. But yeah. it's, it's it's really um, disturbing. Um, and we know too that other countries don't necessarily have this much of an issue. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So to be progressive com- countries, to you know, be advanced civilizations, you know. Go ahead, please. Yes. Uh, so, so ma- mass shootings, uh, school shootings are mass shootings, right? but not all mass shootings are school shootings, right? So. Right. Uh, and again, the, the purpose is to target uh, a great number of individuals. So there's a mass shooting that happened in New York not too long ago at a grocery mm-hmm. store. Uh, and again, right. um, there was a significant racial dynamics, right? A person traveled from outside their locale. There were uh, a Caucasian-American individual, and they shot up what was known to be an African-American um, area, a community where – uh, most of the people in that community frequented uh, this sort of grocery store. So there was underlining, of course, racial causes 
with regards to that kind of shooting. And again, not a school shooting, but a mass shooting. These, these other mass shootings, um, again, have happened around the world. But school shootings is, uh, according to one scholar, a unique American crisis. <laughs> Something is happening, uh, again, in U.S. schools that are having, again, students return to their schools and shooting up uh, their schools, right? So not necessarily talking about outsiders. We're talking about somebody within Mm -hmm. the community, in the school, that, again, is facing isolation, facing uh, senses of perceived social awkwardness. And, of course, those kind of things draw bullies out and bullies begin to pick on and torment uh, some of these students. And when you have to go to school, we have laws that uh, make attendance mandatory, and you have mm-hmm. parents that are working, you have a very limited structure, and you uh, children are now being forced to have to spend time around those who torment them. And, uh, you know, to try to think and conceptualize what it's like to have to live with that anxiety and, and what it is to have to be forced to see those people day in and day out, see those people in your dreams, right? right? So, so, and again, we may be aware that some people are socially awkward, but we mm-hmm. rarely see, we rarely visibly see the bullying. We, we know, we, we've dumbed down the bullying. We say, oh, some kids are picked on, they're a little bit off. But we rarely see how hurtful it can be and the impact, mm-hmm. not just when you're being physically bullied, but the anxiety with every step you take in a hallway as you approach a corner thinking uh, that, you know, you have to know exactly where your tormentors are in the school at all times. So you're sort of playing hide-and-go-seek in your own school, right? Which, which again, uh, you know, you're supposed to be there to learn. People, uh, unfortunately, some of these students who had been tormented that ended up taking their own life at the end of mass shootings mm-hmm. have been in survival mode. Because, because one of the things, too, is a lot of the bullying that is occurring may be occurring from some of the kids in school, but it's occurring online. You know, so when you, when you are walking down the hall in school, you know, the actual bullying may not have occurred there, but it's it's a look or a stare or a glance or it's just some sort of, um, you know, gesture that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of indicates what may have occurred, let's say, on, on some, through some sort of social media bullying, too. Yeah. So, it, that, so that makes it harder to identify what's going on. And then my other concern is I know when I was going to school, we had guidance counselors, okay, uh, and I, you know, it makes me wonder wh- where are, are do schools still have? Because I don't have kids. Do schools still have guidance counselors? What are their roles? And you know, how why are they? You know, why aren't they more effective? I guess that's what I want to know. Yeah, but if, if in fact they do know what's going on, and, and again, uh, students. I remember uh, if they said they had an issue, they'd tell the teacher, I want to go see my guidance counselor. Whether or mm-hmm. not they actually showed up and uh, talked to a guidance counselor about what was going on in their life, what they're dealing with, 
or whether they uh, use that opportunity to get out of class to walk around, meet friends, or try to meet a significant other. So for, for me, I, I don't know, nor do I know of anybody in my classes who mm-hmm. routinely met with a guidance counselor or at all even uh, perhaps even knew who their guidance counselor was. It was just, uh, again, I may have been in a different track, eventually resulting in me going to the, uh, university and grad school and all those things. So my classmates um, in high school and even in middle school, because the academic tracking starts all the way from middle school to be in the proper classes to high school to receive potential mm-hmm. college credit, all of the, so my entire cohort, uh, a small cohort in those class in those classes, were focused on trying to do work. So I, I can't speak to perhaps the other students. So so we were a little bit more focused. But I do know uh, other students that uh, would say things like, "I got to go speak to my guidance counselor," or "I got this issue," and they would go and they would talk. They would hang out. And so mm-hmm. there was a role for guidance counselors. I remember seeing the sort of comfortable, friendly couch. The whole idea, you can come and talk with me about your problems and issues. But never, right. I had never taken advantage of that. And, again, I don't know if some students, uh, as you suggest, the opportunity and the access is there, but is the mm-hmm. vulnerability there? And uh, are they transparent enough to really discuss the deeper issues and not just say, oh, I'm having a bad day, I'm feeling X, Y, Z kind of way. So uh, well, to be able to properly use those resources. Well, I remember getting called in to my guidance counselor <laughs> uh, one day in, in my senior year and, you know, was asked, are, you know, how you doing? You okay? And all that kind of stuff. And then it got to the point in terms of uh, the classes I was taking, because I was taking a bunch of, I guess what you could say, frivolous, relatively frivolous classes. I was taking a lot of electives at this point. Um you know, it was like, well, you know, does your mom know that you're taking these classes? Like, well, yeah, but I've completed all of my required courses, so I have to take electives now. And so it was a matter of just going back and, and, and double-checking to make sure that, you know, I was on track to do what I'm, I was supposed to do, you make sure, you know, I'm graduating and everything like that. Um, you know, and so that's why I said I, I don't know. I know everybody in the school system seems to be overtaxed right now uh, because it's not just dealing with uh, the academics, you know, it's, it's not just dealing, it's dealing actually more with disciplinary type of role being more of a disciplinarian than actually teaching the academics now, unfortunately, it seems. Yes. yes. So uh, following that intuition, we, we might sort of extrapolate and go down that line, which uh, the results are sort of contrary but if you're thinking about behavioral issues and young men and young men of color come into mind and you think about, mm-hmm. okay, having the guidance, one might reasonably assume that based upon that demographic, that these school shooters should be black males and brown males, which is not the case, <laughs> right? So, so right. we have a sort of, exactly. of middle-class yeah, middle white males, right? So, 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 um, to think about disciplinary issues and think about opportunities to take advantage of, uh, you know, guidance counselors and those things, um, we would also assume that schools, that schools that lack those structures 
would be mm-hmm. more prone to have school shooters and produce school shooters and all of those other things when that doesn't ha- ne- that that's not necessarily the case. Right. So we're well, uh, again, I'm going to give you my theory on on that because okay. I'm yeah. thinking, in my opinion that probably a lot of the black males that are in school are dealing with so much more of the basics in terms of what's going on at home, you know, what's going on with my Mm -hmm. brothers and sisters. How am I eating? You know, um, do I need to, you know, find a job to help the family out and stuff like that. And so I think, and I I could be wrong. I may be making assumptions, but I'm thinking Mm -hmm. our young black men are burdened down with so many of the basic things that the whole thing about maybe being bullied or something like that is not ne- that's not necessarily happening to them. And if it's happening, it's kind of on the back burner in comparison to other more just basic survival type of stuff. Whereas the people that you're seeing that are committing these uh, crimes maybe have a little bit too much time on their hands and they, maybe maybe all of their basic needs are being met and they just don't know how to, to you know, ha- handle bullying. Yeah. Which, yeah. You know, so, uh, in most cases, if you've got other things going on, the bullying, you kind of just let roll, you know? Okay, right. Well, that makes sense. There's some sense to that. I, I, I believe in predominantly – uh, black schools and schools of color, which we know we know schools are segregated. Let's let's start with that. We know school there's mm-hmm. white flight. Some brown comes in, it turns brown and black, and then you know whites go to the suburbs. So we know, but I believe there's bullying in both schools, schools of color as well as white schools. I I believe that men of color in particular are raised uh, in an aggressive environment. And uh, historically, and even today, uh, young men of color have played this, this this game called the Joneses, right? You know, where, where you, you say, yo mama this, yo mama that. And these kind of threats, these kind of assaults, build one up to a certain immunity uh, from outside pressures that can harm them over time. But again, there's a sort of a rugged exterior that men of color uh, in particular have, have had to put on in order to survive. Now, the vulnerability might not be the same because they have this shield, which may be different from what we see with school shooters who are middle class, might face issues of bullying, and then turn into what turns into a school shooting uh, because, again, they have resources. They have the opportunity to, uh, to get those weapons. And, and, of course, uh, the radar is much different for white males than it is males of color in these institutions. So uh, part of it is, uh, as you said, some men of color in particular may be thinking about other responsibilities, about what they're going to eat later, how are they going to take care of perhaps they got to pick their little brother or sister up from school, they got to walk them home. And so uh, they're thinking about navigating the world of sports. And so if sports is a lure to keep you uh, how do you say, socially integrated, if you have family responsibilities that keep you not thinking about committing suicide or doing things violently, you're thinking about, okay, I am an important part of this family wheel and this family structure, 
you may be less likely at that point to think about suicide or violence because it would surely destroy that family structure that is already fragile. So that's, that's another mm-hmm. way of thinking about, again, not a blatant, conscious, mature sense of responsibility that I, th- that I think will be there later on potentially, but as a young boy, 13, you're like, oh, I got to walk my little brother home from elementary school. He's seven, and I got to be mm-hmm. there. So ain't nobody got time to be fighting. Ain't nobody got time. Oh, yeah, I got basketball practice after school. So, you know, I'm not trying to do now. I'm trying to stay eligible. I need to get a C in this class. So, again, maybe down so that list. So there's more structure. There's more structure. There's yeah. more of a need to be disciplined, right? Because um, other people are relying on you. Uh, the reliance and the perceived responsibility outside mm-hmm. of the normative outside of the normative nuclear family structure right the perceived mm-hmm. response so if you're contributing to that household maybe right. not financially but response so if you have a single parent who's working and you mm-hmm. know oh my little brother gets or my little sister gets mac and cheese today and they're six you know you have to go home put the water in the mac and cheese, put it in the micro, so, you know what I mean? Simple, mm-hmm. yeah. simple responsibilities void of economic contribution can have one say, I need to be present. I need to be here. I need to, you know, I don't have time to fight anybody. I don't have time to do X, Y, and Z. So it may contribute to, again, the idea of why perhaps uh, we know males are school shooters, why males of color are not pronounced, uh, not nearly with regards to uh, school shooters. However, mm-hmm. uh, again, with shootings that are not mass shootings and when we deal with homicide one-on-one and when young men matriculate in advance and perhaps graduate high school or not, 20, 21, 22, run into conflict in the street, we know mm-hmm. all those lack of opportunities, all of being passed over, inability to climb, finding yourself a very limited employment state, not being able mm-hmm. to even pursue management, all of those pent-up hostilities as well as perhaps right. baby, mama, baby mama drama, uh, you know, a broken relationship, children out of wedlock. So it does, but it doesn't may, come may, in school. It comes later. It may, it may come later, and it may manifest itself in the same harmful behaviors that mm-hmm. are targeting other individuals on the street that you run into conflict. But it's not – uh, as far as I know, it's not the, the uh, how do you say, the premeditated institutional attack on both an individual right. and bystanders surrounding that individual, right? That, that's, uh, th- that's where it becomes very, very complicated. Uh, so that's not what we have, uh, I believe, yeah. in African Americans. We have a higher disproportionate rate of homicide. So, mm-hmm. so that, that's also uh, how we deal with violence and aggression and bullying. Mm-hmm. We're also not off the hook with that. Um, yeah. But la- last thing, just to add to this complex yep. sort of Quick. approach, is um, do, do I have a minute or no? Quick. Yeah, uh, violent media theory and mm-hmm. the violence that many young people take in now manifests itself in a certain kind of immunity where. It's not until later they realize the gravity of what they've done, and they're like, wow, this is real, but in the videos, it wasn't. So that is also a contributing factor to, again, the proliferation of school shootings. Dr. Chaplin, thank you for coming back. We really appreciate it. You take care and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Thank you all for listening.
Anytime. And thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.